homily for the 24th Sunday in Ordinary Time, September 11th, 2022, St. Mary's Church, Grand Forks. We do well to offer a prayer for the consolation of family members who lost loved ones in the September 11th, 2001 terrorist attacks. May God's Holy Spirit comfort and sustain them. Amen. Today's readings remind me of a priest in our diocese who was ordained around the same time I was. Many years ago, as pastor of a couple of parishes, he joked that if he were to pick a personal motto from the Bible, it would be, I see how stiff-necked this people is. Seriously, today we receive some of the most powerful images of God's mercy that we find anywhere in the scriptures. A homily today almost runs the risk of standing in the way of these messages. What I will do is shed light on some of the pertinent details from each lesson that uh, we ought not to miss. Hindsight helps us to see the magnitude of the Israelites' sin in today's first reading. After all the miraculous works they had witnessed, all it took was Moses' prolonged absence atop Mount Sinai for the people to panic and revert to idolatry. The author presents this dialogue between God and Moses as though God had changed his mind about rescuing his chosen people. We know that God does not and cannot change. But over time, we come to see how God has always been supremely merciful. To meet them in their wretchedness, to refuse to wipe them out, was the greater display of God's power, because it enabled the Hebrews to come to a more profound faith than they had before. Consider the deeply personal testimony of St. Paul in his letter to the young bishop, St. Timothy, his protege. I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and arrogant, but I have been mercifully treated. He goes on, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of these I am the foremost. Remember that Saul of Tarsus was so notorious that after his conversion in Damascus, the Christians there had trouble believing that he was now a fellow disciple of Jesus who did not seek to do them harm. Only someone who examines his conscience and accepts completely the love of Christ can turn his life around like St. Paul did. Paul submitted himself to the mercy of our miracle-working God, becoming, as he called it, an earthen vessel whose strength came from Christ and not from himself. The three parables we hear in today's gospel are among Jesus' masterpieces. The first two point to our intrinsic value, simply for who we are as God's children, and that God always regards us as such. After doing a head count, the shepherd does not tell himself, Oh well, I still have 99 sheep. Let's call it good. Upon finding his lost sheep, he doesn't cruelly strike him and force him to run the whole way home. Rather, he carries the sheep on his shoulders and gently returns it to the flock. When one of the woman's ten coins is missing, she doesn't ignore it and act as though it has no value. She searches high and low, and broadcasts the good news once she has found it. 
What a consolation it is to know that the Holy Trinity, our Blessed Mother Mary, my patron saint, and my guardian angel, just to name a few, care every bit as much as that for me. Finding her lost coin was a cause for celebration in the neighborhood. The angels in heaven rejoice over every sinner who repents, even you and me. We have three well-defined characters in this final parable, the prodigal son, his older brother, and their father. As we listen closely to the story, we find ourselves identifying with one character more than the other. What amazes me is how that character changes for me in different stages of my pilgrimage of life. For example, frequently in past years, I would focus on the elder brother. He happens to be a carbon copy of those Pharisees who complained that the Lord welcomed sinners and ate with them. I can trot out a sob story just like the elder brother did. I went into the seminary straight out of high school. I wasn't some beatnik drifter. I haven't done anything crazy. I'm far from perfect, but all these years I've walked the straight and narrow. Will I come to know the f- and trust the Father's love for me? Or will that love only apply to me if I cross every T, dot every I, and follow every last rule? Only God can break through the armor of all the world's angry siblings who don't allow God to touch and heal their wounds. A report card filled with good grades is earned. The forgiveness of God can only be received. Many of us who practice our faith year in and year out might find ourselves occasionally feeling the same way that the elder son did. For example, we see an overflowing crowd here on Christmas Eve or Easter Sunday, and instead of being glad that they chose to join us, we resent that we hardly ever see them the rest of the year. Our duty is to keep focused on the path of interior conversion of heart, as critical for us as for anyone else. Our reflex to condemn others may be based on true data, but it can distract us from our first responsibility. The world already has a judge. It can never have too many disciples. I take solace in the repentant son who owns up to his sinfulness and returns home. We don't have to hit rock bottom in some dramatic way in order to relate to him. What we need to do is to remove the blinders of pride, see our true hunger and poverty, and ask God to fill us in our emptiness. All the younger son dared to hope for at first was the status of a hired man on his dad's farm, to make sure he wouldn't starve to death in some foreign land. How much more the Father had in store for him and provided for him. As I grow older, I naturally identify more with the Father in this parable. My heart will get broken, but God spurs me on to continue loving, hoping, and praying. The fact that the Father sees and recognizes his Son, although a long way off, indicates that the Father never stopped looking for him. The father could angrily have declared, You said that I'm as good as dead in your eyes. Well, you little brat, 
you are forever dead to me. But he refused. Instead, he ran to his son. He ran to him. In this culture, it was disgraceful and unbecoming for an older man to run. One would have expected the father to stay put and for the son to take every last step to him out of deference. That's not what unfolded. The father is emotional, extravagant, even foolish. The one who loves cannot do too much for his beloved. Neither would the father let his son finish his speech. We need to care for my son and get him cleaned up. By providing new clothes to wear, he will see that everything I have is his. The ring placed on his son's finger would often be used as a family seal, a mark of identification in signing documents or making purchases, which only a family member in good standing could possess. The sandals on his feet showed the young man that despite his past sins, he was not a slave. He was free to leave again if he wanted to, and was not reduced to indentured servitude. Don't we all long for the Father's love for us to be just like that? Praise God that it is. Lastly, I would point out that Jesus chose not to finish the story of the parable. We don't find out if the older son eventually went into the party to see his brother, or if he packed up and moved out. It's as if Jesus is saying that for us who recognize ourselves in that character, it's up to us to decide what we will do. Will we allow anger or pride to handcuff us? Or will we allow the Holy Spirit to steer us in a different direction? The depth of compassion we want to receive from God, he longs to give, and in far greater measure than we can understand. It's up to us not to be roadblocks, but instruments of that compassion, not only for our own benefit, but for all whom we meet. Amen.